Hello, everybody, and welcome again for another episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. I hope you are well. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. And if you have any questions, comments, would like to reach out and say hello, don't hesitate to send me an email at rabbishlomokon with a K at gmail.com. Additionally, if you enjoy this podcast, the content, please help me spread the message. Rate, review, share. Anything we could do to help spread Torah is appreciated. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Noah. The Parsha deals with and tells the story of the generation of Noah, the flood that happened during Noah's time, Noah. And the Torah describes the general moral decay of the society that preceded this world destruction of a flood. Hashem commands Noah, Noah, to build a ark, which in Hebrew is referred to the Teva, to save his family and to restart the world from him and his descendants. All the creatures come to the ark when it's the proper time. And, you know, God commands Noah to go into the, into the Teva, to the ark. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. The world's destroyed. And he spends a year inside of this vessel. And he's saved. After the water recedes, he gets permission to leave the ark and to start again on dry land. God additionally makes a covenant with Noah not to make another flood in the world. The Torah also lists the descendants of Noah and from him the different 70 nations of the world come from. The Parsha finishes with the story of the Tower of Babel which is where the people again even after restarting society shortly after the flood they decide they want to build a tower to start a war with God and the Torah gives the story how the people want to start this battle and God destroys their plan and causing the tower to be destroyed. And finally, the Torah finishes this week's Torah portion, this week's Parsha, with the list of the ten generations from Noah to Avram Avinu, to Abraham. Now the first idea I wanted to share this week is the background of this flood. Right, So we described how the generation was becoming immoral and there was a lot of evil that was happening. But what, what actually caused the flood? What were the reasons that God saw it necessary to bring destruction to the world? Were there specific sins that people were doing that caused Hashem, caused God, to need to bring this flood and destroy the whole world? And the commentaries bring down Specific averos, specific sins that caused the, the flood and the subsequent dis- destruction. The first sin that's brought down is idol worship. At the time, people started to serve other gods, right? They started serving idols, serving the sun, serv- serving inanimate objects. That is the first sin that is listed. Another Avera that is brought down as a reason to the destruction of that generation is the sin of bloodshed. And the Medrash talks about how the people had no respect for other people's lives. They would commit murder. They would abuse other people. And that's a second sin that is listed. 
Another area in which the generation of Noah fell and went down a bad road was in the area of immorality. The generation, their first priority was gratifying their physical desires. They, they corrupted their ways. It's even brought down that the animals imitated the corrupt, immoral ways of the people. And that was another area which the generation sinned. Now, a fourth and final Avera, which is brought down that the people committed, which really was the final nail in, in the coffin, was the area of robbery. That although the first three sins were grave and are grave, the fact that the people would rob other people and had no respect for another's property was the reason that God decided to destroy the generation. Meaning, normally Hashem gives a, a person, a, a person who sins, time to repent, a time to, to fix himself up. But once it came to a point where people were taking advantage of other people, they were having no respect for another person's property, Hashem found it appropriate to destroy the generation and to start again with Noah and his descendants. What I want to bring out from, from discussing the sins of that generation is that these people were only 10 generations from Adam Harishan, from Adam. Only 10 generations back was Adam Harishan. Adam Harishan you know, was the first man. He was the first person created. He was an extremely exalted individual. Fine, he did sin, but God created him as the first human being. And the question really begs to be asked is, how did these people, this generation come to all these severe transgressions in such a short amount of time? What happened? What was the cause of their downfall that ultimately led to their destruction? And I think if we understand that point, what was the reason for their downfall, we can learn a lot from that for ourselves, to protect ourselves from sinning, to protect ourselves from falling into the trap of transgression. So let's take a look. The commentary tell us that the people who lived during the generation of the flood or right before it enjoyed tremendous physical benefits and they enjoyed a tremendous amount of material abundance. They were giants. They had strength. They lived tremendously long lives. The Medrash brings down that they did not have sickness or suffering. The earth was so abundant, it, it produced so abundantly that the Medrash brings down that they only had to sow once every 40 years. That if they sowed one time, they would have enough produce for 40 years. And the weather was just perfect. It was always the right temperature all the time. There were no seasons. That only happened after the flood. The problem is, is that the people became so comfortable that they became arrogant from their abundance and their physical pleasures and the materialism. You know, and they would say to themselves, we have so much. We don't need God anymore. We don't need Him. And from that general attitude of this overabundance, which the people enjoyed, which was a blessing, became this sort of seed of rebellion which came into the hearts of the people. Because once the people had everything, they felt, I don't need God anymore. They became conceited. They became arrogant. They felt that they didn't need anything. They, they didn't even need God. That was the beginning of their downfall. Because once a person 
gets to that point where they have everything and they they start they start saying they don't need God. They're on this slippery slope to rebellion, direct rebellion against Hashem, against rebellion against God. And when the people did this, they stopped focusing on Hashem. And once we stop focusing on God, we're done. Now, this is actually the ultimate chutzpah because if you think about it, God gives us blessing. When we do the right thing, we're supposed to enjoy material blessing and physical blessing. What did this generation do? They took it and they sort of threw it back in Hashem's face. They threw it back at God. And really the question is, is how do we deal with this? You know, thank God we live in a generation where we have tremendous abundance. We have tremendous material blessing. Sure, there are people who have challenging times and financial hardships, but even the most poorest person lives today in the United States better than kings did in, in um, medieval times. You know, you walk into a Costco, you walk into a grocery store, and the shelves are just full of food. And it's not so expensive, right? Obviously, things the more fancier things get, the more expensive they get. But the necessities of life, the, to enjoy life, are, are not so expensive to get. And we have this tremendous amount of blessing in ourselves. We can get anything we want, when we want it. We don't even have to leave our house. We could order it straight from our computer. So the question is, how do we deal with a physical abundance, materialism, without going down this road of rebellion like the generation of the flood? We don't want to get to that point where we become conceited, we become arrogant, we say we don't need God anymore like the generation of Noah did. What can we do? And it's brought down is that the, when a person has a blessing of materialism, a blessing of physical abundance, if, if there's no spirituality attached to it, it's going to lead to that rebellion we talked about. It's only when we take this physical and we use it and we realize it's for the spiritual. It's to help us elevate ourselves spiritually are we able to harness the physical in the proper way? Because if we don't have a purpose for the physical, if it's not channeled properly to help us in our spiritual lives, so then it takes us over. It becomes the focus. So the, there's two points here which I want to bring out. Number one is we're using the physical as a vehicle. We use materialism as a vehicle. It's not a means in and of itself. Fine, you could have something nice. You could take a nice vacation. But why are you taking that vacation? Is it just to enjoy? Why are you eating that fancy steak? Is it just to enjoy? Or is there a higher purpose involved in it? Is it because I'm taking a vacation because I want to rejuvenate myself? Pun intended. Am I eating that steak because I want to have nutrition to serve God better? Or is it just for pleasure? So when we harness it, we use it as a vehicle... We're keeping the physical in check. And number two is realizing what's more important. We have to remember that although we have physical needs, we have different bodily needs, and we have to feed ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to always remember what is more important. Again, sure, it's very important, our physical needs, but we have to remember, end of the day, is the spiritual more important or the physical is more important? 
which one trumps the other? Because if we remember that it's what our true goal in life is, that's to serve Hashem, to get closer to God, to do mitzvahs, learn Torah, so then we recognize that the spiritual is on top of the physical, and it keeps it in check as well. And I believe this idea helps us today in our generation as well. Because when we have this focus of, of physical being a vehicle for the spiritual, we recognize what's truly important, what's not so important. And it keeps the focus. It doesn't let the materialism overtake our lives to, God forbid, lead, lead us down that path where we become arrogant and say, God forbid, that we don't need God. A second idea which I wanted to share with everybody is about Noah himself, is about Noah. If you look in the verses, Noah is a very interesting person. On one hand, we see that the Torah praises him. If you look in last week's parsha, the last words of Parsha's Bereshis, it says, Hashem. But Noah found grace in the eyes of Hashem. Right? After God says he wants to destroy the world, he says, Noah found grace in the eyes of Hashem. And in this week's parsha as well, it says, Ela told us Noah, Noah ish tzadik, tomim haya bedorosav, esoelokim hisalech Noah. These are the offspring of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Right? These are pretty nice compliments. If the Torah would say these words about us, we'd feel pretty good about ourselves. But yet at the same time, there's also some subtle criticisms of Noah in the Parsha as well. And the first one that comes to mind is the actual first verse that we just read a moment ago. Because we said, Noah ish tzadik tamim Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. And Rashi brings down from the Talmud that there are two understandings to that phrase that he was perfect in his generation. That one of the opinions learns that the expression perfect in his generations is a compliment. And another group of sages learn that perfect in his generations is more of a negative connotation. According to one opinion, when it says perfect in his generation, it means to tell us that he was, even in a generation that was so immoral, so evil, and so bad, he was still able to withstand the temptation and still be righteous. And the other side, on the flip side of this um, discussion in the Talmud, that, it, that it's a negative comment, it's learned that when it says perfect in his generation, it means that only because of the fact that Noah lived in his generation was he considered righteous. Had he lived in another generation, such as the generation of Avram Avinu as Abraham, he would have not have been so great. It was only because he was in this generation. If he would have been somewhere else, he wouldn't have been so, so righteous. And we see other places as well in the Parsha where the Torah seems to be subtly criticizing Noah. There is a complaint against Noah that why didn't he convince other people of his generation to, do, to repent? He only focused on himself to save his family. The Haftorah refers to the Mabel, the flood, the great flood, as May Noah. His name is attached to this flood as if he sort of holds responsibility. Right? But at the same time, we, we call him righteous. The question that's been bothering me is 
what is the deal? Is Noah righteous? Is he a, a completely righteous person? Is he a tzaddik? Or is he not such a righteous person? How could he be both? How could the Torah be referring to him as perfect? He found grace in God's eyes. He he was saved, right? The generation, he was, he was saved. His family was saved. But yet at the same time, there seems to be some criticisms, if not some negative connotations towards him. I believe the answer I saw really can help us understand what is true righteousness, what is true greatness. And it'll also help us give an answer to this question. You know, when we think of great people, great Torah leaders, great people in our history, what do we think about? Do we think about somebody who's just totally righteous? Or do we think about somebody who pushed themselves beyond their comfort zone? They did just a little bit more to, than they thought they could do, and they became someone great. And one of the biggest examples of that, which is going to be coming up next week, is Abraham, Avram. We know that Avram Avinu, in a few weeks, we're going to describe how God gives him a commandment to circumcise himself at an old age, and he does. And on the third day, after being in a tremendous amount of pain, he commands his servant Eliezer to search out guests, wayfarers, people he could bring in to give hospitality to. This is one of the areas that Avram Avinu, that Abraham strived to, that he excelled in. And this is what he wanted to do. And Eliezer went out but could not find anybody. It was a hot day. God made it hot. And he could not find any travelers to bring into the tent of Avram Avinu to provide hospitality, food, drink, and so on. But yet, Avram Avinu, Abraham, didn't take that for an answer. In his extreme pain, even though he was not obligated to get up to look for guests to do that mitzvah, he sent his servant to find people and he could not find anybody. But what did he do? He still got up on his own and went to search to see if he could bring back guests to do a mitzvah. He pushed himself beyond his comfort zone to do the will of Hashem, to do the will of God. And he got the opportunity. He brought back the angels to his tent. And we, as we will discuss in the episodes that come, stay tuned. He, he brought them in and he provided them with their needs. The answer to our question is that although Noah was a righteous person, he's still criticized by the sages in a subtle way for not pushing himself beyond what he was required to do, beyond his comfort zone. And I feel like this is a very big lesson for ourselves when it comes to us to strive to become better, to improve, to improve our relationship with Hashem, to improve our relationship with others. That many times we do what we do. We know what we do. We have our routine. We have things we're comfortable with. And it's very hard for people to get out of that comfort zone to do a little bit more. And the, the lesson, I believe, from this week's Parsha, from the story of Noah, and I guess this enigma of who Noah was, he was truly righteous. He only did maybe what he was required to do. And the lesson for us is that if we want to become great, we want to increase ourselves, we want to be a little better, we should push ourselves beyond our comfort zone. And I'm not saying we should push ourselves tremendously 
And I'm not saying we should take ourselves and go way out of our comfort zone, just a little bit, to find something that's a little bit more than what we're used to do, and to do it. Because when we do that, we become a different person. We become a better person. When Avram Avinu, when he did this, when he pushed himself out of his comfort zone, God made him into a new person. He made him into Abraham. He added a hey to his name. And when we push ourselves, we also become a new person with greater potential, uh, capable of, of achieving even greater things. And just to finish with a, an example of this is that there is the hermit crab. The hermit crab is a creature that has a shell. And it grows in its shell. And it grows and grows and grows until it cannot fit into its shell anymore. And at that point, it has to leave the comfort and the safety of its shell, go out exposed in the ocean, and find a new shell that's bigger, it's more suitable. And it finds it, and it continues to grow and grow until it has to repeat the process again. But if it would never go out of its shell, it would die. And the lesson for us is clear. That in order to grow, we need to push ourselves just a little bit out of our comfort zone. And God willing, when we do that, we're going to become great people and better people. That's going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlomacone with a K at gmail.com. Everyone, have a great day.